Hello, and welcome to the Tech Dirt Podcast. I'm Mike Masnick. The world is increasingly technological, so we have better get methodical. Bringing precision to critical digital journalism with the singular vision of the modern monocle. Stopping the copyright bullies from pulling the wall on us. Painting and taking on all the blade to pay to troll. Document the ways that they aim to take control. Scrutinize and do their lies and make them fold. If we don't stand up to them, someone will get hurt. To grab a shovel and dig up the tech. If we don't stand up to them, someone will get Almost a year ago, we had Chris Riley on the podcast as the newly named executive director of the Data Transfer Initiative. Uh, Chris has been on the job for about a year now, and uh, DTI is releasing its first annual report, talking about the efforts it's been working on over the last year and also what its plans are for 2024 and hopefully beyond that, uh, given the importance of data portability data portability uh, to so much of what we talk about, we thought that it would be a good opportunity to have Chris back on the podcast to talk about uh, what DTI has been working on. Uh, In the newly released annual report, there's a really great line, which I liked a lot, which says that uh, Chris is very fond of saying this, that uh, data portability is an issue that everyone supports, but no one prioritizes. And I think that's a really important point. Because this is, it's a a super important topic if we believe in sort of the open internet and the power of the web itself to, to, you know, uh, open up all these great opportunities, data portability is really key, Uh, but it just never feels like a particularly sexy topic. And so it just doesn't get that much attention. So Chris, uh, welcome back to the podcast and let's dig in uh, by discussing that point. Why is it that data portability as an idea is so popular, but always feels neglected? Thanks, Mike. And thanks for having me. It's good to talk to you about this. It's been quite a year of activity for the Data Transfer Initiative since I joined and uh, really eager to, to talk about it with you and, uh, and eager for the year ahead as well as we expect the coming year to be even bigger and even more active and visible, I would say. Data portability is something I've been working on personally for for many years now. And throughout that time, I've always been sort of optimistic and excited about the possibilities that are unlocked when you really free people up to have more agency over and more empowerment with their data to really move it to the services that they want and to not feel like it's stuck or trapped somewhere. And unlike a lot of issues in the tech policy canon, I do find that this is one where it's hard for anyone to say we really don't want to let users take their data and move it where they want. I mean, obviously, in principle, it's hard for anyone to sit down and say, no, it's their data. It's about them. They contributed it, but it's mine now and I'm going to keep it and I'm going to take my ball and go home. So in principle, obviously, the support is uh, is quite straightforward. But even in practice, what I found in working with a lot of different companies, large and small in this ecosystem and with uh, nonprofit organizations, the companies aren't really trying to hold users hostage as much as I think is commonly understood. Sure, they want you to stay. They want you to keep using their services, but they also feel really confident in their services. And so by and large, if they believe that you can also use portability to come back, 
they don't really have a lot of problem with you using portability to go. They think they can win you back. They think they can win more. And it feels like something that just at the end of the day helps markets work well and helps set companies up to be able to be successful and to be able to make this happen. Government regulators like portability. It's something where they can really understand how it helps people and sort of see a roadmap towards it helping things work out and be smooth. And and of course, the open internet world, of which I've been involved for a very, very long time, sees this as just sort of fundamental to the ethos of the internet. If people aren't in charge, if people can't move their data where they want, then clearly we've messed something up and we need to work on that. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting, you know, I'm not sure I totally agree with you that, that companies are as <laughs> as an embracing of of this idea. I mean, it's you know, if you look back at like some of the early initiatives, right? So yeah, a lot of it seemed like it was driven by, you know, maybe engineers at the companies who were yeah. really, you know, who believed in these kinds of concepts and sort of not entirely did it on the sly, but, but, you know, there, there's, there were elements of some of these early initiatives for being able to get your data out of these services that were, you know, engineers who just believed in like, you know, open internet yeah. and, and these principles and then sort of convinced management, like, you know, hey, we should be good citizens here rather than like that the really strong belief like, you know, yes, other people can transfer their data in yeah. and uh and you know, and this is good for the the larger ecosystem or whatever. Um so I'll I'm I'll push back a little bit <laughs> on that point. Sure, yeah. no, I mean nobody wants to lose a customer, right? I'm not right. saying that businesses like losing customers. I'm saying I think more it's a reflection of where the world has come from that mm-hmm. time period until now, that it's untenable as a business proposition to support the idea that you really get to keep them, right? Yeah. It's become something that users expect. And how we got to the state that we're in today, how we got to this place where users expect to have this kind of freedom is, you know, it's it's, a, it's an exercise in, in histor- histor- historical exegesis to sort of figure out the path. Certainly, the GDPR played a part in this as well, the General Data Protection Regulation in Europe, which said that users had a right to data portability, a fundamental right. And that, I think, kicked off an acceleration in investments in really building tools and opportunities and avenues for people to do that. But anyway, that history aside, where we're at today, I I think it's really really hard not to be pro-data portability, but it still is hard to do. It's Mm -hmm. complicated. And there are considerations of security and privacy risks that can come into that. Um, My chief technology officer has been writing a series on our newsletter doing a threat modeling and analysis exercise for exactly these kinds of portability transfers, just to be sort of honest about the fact that this is not an operation without some level of risk. So it's good. It's hard. We want to do it. Finding resources at a time when so many businesses in the industry are cutting people left and right, to be totally honest is always going to be a little bit of a challenging exercise. But mm-hmm. um, we're here and, and happy to have sort of taken on this mantle of rallying the forces and, and finding the resources and finding the most high reward opportunities to invest in portability and then and then catalyzing movement forward on that. Yeah. And 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 you know, it's an important point. I think this is mentioned a little bit in the in the report as well, but that, you know, Data port- for data portability to work, there needs to be agreements between multiple parties because, yes. right, like you, if you can get your data out of one service, but it's completely useless, like you, you can't, yeah. you know, make use of it in any way. What so there needs, 
yeah, there, there needs to be some level of coordination and, and it feels like, you know, you guys are sort of stepping into that void and saying like, let us be the, the party to help coordinate the, that exact uh, thing. And so, I mean, so if, if we're looking back at, at 2023 and sort of what, what has been accomplished, what, what do you think are sort of the, the, the key things that the data transfer initiative has, has accomplished? Thanks for asking that. And I would agree with your sort of starting place that we really are trying to position ourselves as a body that can really help a lot with that coordination exercise and that making sure that portability is not just about getting a copy of your data, but really being able to use it somewhere else. I would say the future of portability is in direct transfers. It's in finding ways and tools to have providers transfer your data and translate it as needed directly to where you want it to go to completely avoid the step of downloading it and then uploading it and then processing it on your end somehow, or putting that burden on the recipient of the data to figure out what to do with it and to maybe invent new technology and business streams to process that and get value out of it. So what we've done, we've done, uh, we've worked towards our uh, dual objectives in this space of the technology work and the policy work. On the technology work, we have continued to shepherd investments in the open source code base, the data transfer project code base. Uh, that was set up before we existed as an organization. It's the original uh, vehicle for collaboration of tech companies to, ex to execute on this translation and coordination mechanism uh, to, to solve that problem that you mentioned, Mike, of, of translating data between different services. Um, we've started to expand that. We have decided to dig into new products and new verticals and start the pathway that takes a while, but we've gotten started on the pathway to figuring out what more tools that we can build. So one thing that we have coming along, I think I might have even mentioned this the last time we talked, we've made some progress towards shipping a tool that will allow users to transfer their music streaming service playlists from one service to another. Uh, we hope to have some more news on that in the coming weeks and, and start to see users using that tool later this year. As always, it's just taking a little bit harder to get out all of the testing and all of the edge cases because it turns out these are really complicated. One other thing we did on the technology side last year that I'm really proud of is we organized a convening of Fediverse developers to talk about how we can build better migration tools within that ecosystem. And that became a, a broader conversation around trust and safety challenges within the Fediverse ecosystem, things that can actually be exacerbated if you are allowing people to move all of their past content and messages from one service to another. So we're trying to be a responsible part of that ecosystem, as everyone is, and mm -hmm. encourage us all to move forward. And, and I, I really want to get to a future where if somebody wants to move from whatever Mastodon implementation and service they're using now to mine, techpolicy.social, I am the administrator of that, that mm -hmm. they can move their past posts in and, and not lose that archive and that history of the work that they've done and, and not lose discoverability of, of uh, really, really valuable and, and interesting human content and creativity. We've got a couple of other products in the pipeline as well and some really other interesting research partnerships. Forgive me, I'm going on long. I'm just excited about this work. Uh, <laughs> we're working with a group called Academy Health to help build uh, tools to make it easier for, for medical patients to opt in to donate their data to medical researchers who are trying to improve diagnoses of serious conditions. So this sort of new angle of data portability as a tool for data donation to help researchers study uh, our online activity is something I'm really excited about and hope to do more with this year as well. Of course, on the policy side, there's been quite a lot. 
as the European Union in particular moves to implement the Digital Markets Act and the data portability language there. So I was in Brussels last May. I spoke on a workshop. We talk about that quite a lot. I was also in Brussels again earlier this year to sort of continue that work, but that'll go into the 2024 annual report. Maybe you'll have me back in a year to talk about it. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. So um, a bunch of things in there worth talking about. We definitely did talk last year about the the music playlists. And mm-hmm. um, it's interesting to me that, I mean, you know, the, the sort of discussion as I remember it um, from last year was that, you know, the, this was sort of like a low hanging fruit example of yeah. kind of data portability. And here we are a year later and you're talking about a little more difficult, a little more edge cases, uh, things need to be sorted coming soon. Um, that's, that's interesting to me. <laughs> I'm sort of yeah, like, yeah. uh, you know, I'm wondering, and this is, and this is, this is, this is always one of the issues that comes up with, with any of yeah. these questions, right? Everything sort of like, sure, that sounds good. But then once you start to dig into it, you realize like, yeah. oh, hey, there are trade-offs. And, and some of what you brought up sure. earlier with like security and privacy questions around that. Um, you know, is there anything that you can talk about in terms of like the difficulty and edge cases around music playlists? Because that's it's kind of an interesting case study, I guess. I think so, but I don't think I'm quite ready to sort of <laughs> okay. talk about specifics in that. I was observing it from a distance, but part of the part of the problem here is we're still a very small organization, right? Sure. I didn't bring my chief technology officer on board until August. Really mm-hmm. excited to have found Lisa, uh, the person who we have in that role, who yep. combines um, experience both working with standards bodies as a former application area director for ITF and experience as a startup CTO. So I, I found the right person to help build this foundation for our organization and continue this role of sort of shepherding collaboration. But it took until two thirds of the way through the year. And until then we didn't really have any serious engineering contributions that we were able to make to these processes. And so I think it's just the the delay is, is chalked up in part to these things do take a lot more testing and artifacts mm-hmm. that are developed along the way that we thought. And, and uh, again, I don't, I can't get into specifics. I wasn't, sure, I wasn't uh, sure. closely engaged enough with that. Um, but in part, it's also, you know, we we got distracted last year with AI and a whole host of other things. And I think <laughs> the sort of shifting sands of business priorities meant, you know, maybe maybe portability wasn't always the first thing on these companies' radar screens and investments. And I'd like to see them do more, but. I'm still happy they're doing what they're doing, and 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 glad to see the glad to see progress in the space in in a way that I think we've seen more in the last year than we had in years before. Yeah, um, that raises something that I I hadn't even thought of discussing, but but I'm I'm kind of curious on your take, which is I, yeah. I just had had a conversation with someone who was trying to make the argument that AI, since you brought up AI, AI is changing some of these discussions in interesting ways, in fact. And and, and the, the idea that was, was brought up was that AI itself effectively could create almost a universal API for data in, in which rather than having to have specific APIs or, you know, data transfer setups, what if you just tell the AI what you want and it figures out how to get the data. <laughs> and, and, and this idea was just literally was raised to me like two days ago in, in a, in a conversation and I can't get it out of my head now. <laughs> 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 yeah. and so I'm sort of trying to think through like, what are the implications of that? And so I, I know it's, it's maybe a little far afield, but you brought up AI and it's, it's this sure. brain worm is going through my head. So I figure I might as well ask you, well, yeah, I have. Yeah. 
I'm always I'm always comfortable going off script, as you know. I I'm skeptical, obviously. Uh-huh. I'm skeptical both of the technical feasibility of even asking AI as powerful as it is to handle the intricacies of translating between the formats of data and how it's stored in one system to another system. And also in order to do that, you'd need to train the AI on the internals of both of the sender and receiver systems. And I don't really imagine a world where the companies are all going to hand over access to their internal data systems to one shared AI to allow it to learn enough about both of them in order to facilitate that transaction. There's a business sensitivity concern pretty loud and clear in there, if you ask me. And also, uh, in, in the back of my head, as you were saying that, I was thinking this would never be allowed in the European Union, right? <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the intersection points of, of personal data, I mean, I mean, even what we're thinking about now in how we can help build trust between different service providers and facilitating more and more of these direct transactions, one of the biggest sticking points here is what have you done to make sure the user really understands what's going to happen as a result of this personal data transfer? Does the user know, for example, if you're going to take the data you receive and immediately make it publicly visible to people they're connected with in your network? Or do they think that it's going to go in some sort of private place and they'll have an opportunity to intervene and decide what to do with it in more granular detail after? These are the kinds of very human and also very legally significant data protection and consent, user empowerment and agency type questions that I'm just I'm just not seen any pathway. Yeah, an AI could probably tell you which API to access. They could probably Mm -hmm. even go through any published policies and tell you what kinds of things you would need to do. Maybe they could execute on some of them for you. But not only am I worried that that wouldn't effectively capture user intent because it wouldn't be granular specific enough, I'm also very sure it wouldn't meet a lot of uh, government regulators' thresholds for viability. Mm, Interesting. we brought up the EU a couple of times and yeah. you're spending some time in, in Brussels. And yeah. I'm kind of curious, like how much of this do you think is now really being driven by the EU in particular? Um, just, you know, both the focus on, on data portability and obviously the data protection side of it has been a big, you know, definitely driven by the EU over the last few years. But But now with the DMA the Digital Markets Act um, in the EU and just other efforts in general. Is this is this whole concept now sort of centered in the EU? I think the EU is the the one of the first movers, but they maybe aren't even as far along in some ways as what Korea is doing with its mm-hmm. Personal Information Protection Commission. The PIPC is setting up its own my data system of intermediaries over the course of this year. They have different approaches, so they're each sort of leaning on and prioritizing different pieces of this. But certainly from the uh, visible, normative, and uh, novel uh, obligations being placed on what the, the EU has termed to be gatekeepers, and the six companies and their services that the EU has designated as gatekeeper services, yeah, the EU has moved forward with its, with its legislation beyond others. Um, from our perspective, portability is still very much a global issue. It's a global internet. We have global users. And so we're building things like our trust framework exercise with the idea towards them adding value anywhere that they can be mm-hmm. used. But we also anticipate that just as the GDPR led to a sort of wave of similar data protection laws being adopted in other jurisdictions, that there's a future where laws like the DMA are adopted in other jurisdictions as well. 
I'm not necessarily holding my breath for anything quick out of the United States. However, we also have very active states that have moved more quickly than the U.S. government in adopting privacy law in many ways inspired by the GDPR. So it's Europe is is where a lot of the uh, policy action is for now, um, but it's not where all of the product action is. And it's also definitely not the only place where I expect this to be relevant in the medium term. Yeah, I mean, there are some who would say the the lack of product uh, focus in the EU is maybe a direct result of the policy focus, but that, that's a separate a discussion. Conversation. I will yes. say I've met with some, some EU-based companies on this topic as well and, and had mm-hmm. some really good conversations with them. And there are also, by the way, a wave, a small wave, but but a, a non-trivial wave of, of startups and entrepreneurs trying to sort of build for this, right? Yeah. Recognize the changes in markets that laws like the DMA create and then build value for users in their opportunity to to have greater access to an agency over their data. So it's not all one side in this, of course, never is. Yeah. And I mean, there is the separate question too of like, you know, how much of this is driven by policy and how much of it is driven by other, other aspects yeah. of the market at work. Um, and like, you know, you mentioned the, the Fediverse uh, yeah. stuff and, and, you know, Mastodon obviously and, and other Fediverse uh, tools have long had this idea of being able to, you know, transfer from one server to another. Um, and I think that concept is getting, people are thinking through it a lot more. And yeah. as we've seen this sort of rise of new alternative social media, decent- more decentralized, federated social media apps, it's like something that people are beginning to grasp a little bit more. And obviously there's, you know, Meta has introduced threads, which is right. beginning the process of carefully integrating in some ways with the the Fediverse, and and that will raise questions about data transfer. And you know, uh, Adam Masseri, who runs Threads and Instagram, has been very clear that like part of his reason for wanting to uh, embrace Activity Pub for Threads is that you know if you know, if you want to leave threads, but still communicate, you can. And that is a, that's a data transfer situation. Absolutely. Um, and then at the same time, we're seeing, you know, Blue Sky is out there and they're experimenting with a, a different form of decentralization and federation and a different type of, of transfer as well. And so I think, and, and their plans are coming out in the relatively near future, um, if you're listening to this podcast and if you listen to it regularly, that would hopefully mean if all of our scheduling goes correctly, uh, that the week before this podcast comes out, we'll have a podcast, which was a discussion um, that was just done at a conference of myself and Yoel Roth and Jay Graber from Blue Sky, where we're talking a lot about these challenges from Blue Sky's perspective, and, but in more in general about, you know, these ideas of what happens when you have more decentralized systems. So there's a part of me that's kind of wondering, you know, how much of this is really driven by policy? How much of it is driven by the general trends? I mean, the social media trends, which is like that we had something of a nuclear bomb go off in in social media with the the takeover of Twitter. Uh, And how much of it is just like, you know, the market responding to what, what people want. Do you have a sense of that? I mean, obviously there's some impact from all of those, but do you, do you feel that 
any of those is like having more of an impact than others? I, I, you know, it is a mix. And I think the, the, where you feel each of those forces lending a little bit more momentum to this idea depends on the time, the day, the company, the context, everything else. But I completely agree. What we are seeing is a, is a conflux of um, interest from policymakers in making these markets more open and, and more competitive interest from users and having more agency and more control and not feeling stuck in any particular set of services or experiences and the natural order and evolution of technology and technology systems. I think that that's, you know, we've seen for forever the, the application becoming the platform on which the next edge is being built and seeing these sorts of generational evolutions. And I think that that's, that's definitely part of the dynamic here too. It's just the natural of order of things to, to have more of this over time and, and, and it's, yeah, it's, it's all moving in, in, a, in a, I think, a consistent direction at this point. So um, it, it's interesting. I mean, in your, um, in your report, one of the things that you talk about is, is like the importance of public knowledge of this. And, and to some yeah. extent, I agree that like, you know, none of this matters if people don't make use of it and they don't make That's use right. of it if, if they don't know about it. But at the same time, I'm going to sort of ask you a question that I had to answer on the panel discussion that that should should have been in, in last week's version yeah. of this podcast, which was that like, does the public actually care about this? Right. And I had I had my answer, but I'm kind of curious as to what your take is. I think that again with the caveat that we don't have that awareness in place yet. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that there are pain points in the ecosystem today that can be resolved by this. And, and so I think yes is the, is the long-term version of this answer. I don't think that this is um, an exercise in building uh, something particularly speculative. I think that there is a need for this kind of portability and, and that that need, while maybe not uh, articulated very often is is still very much latent and very much present within the market. So this is one of the things that we're building now and that we're really excited to be building is a, is a, a portability map tool that we can present as a user-facing product to help people understand what they can do, what they can move where, and, and link out to a whole bunch of resources, anything that we can find. Um, and we'll, we'll be running this on our on our GitHub repo and so open for others to contribute tools or resources that they may have to build this out as well. But building this collective community knowledge of what you can do. And, and we're using that exercise as much for awareness as for user signaling, right? We want to learn what people what people's pain points are and where we can invest the the collective resources pushing for more portability into making things easier and making things smoother. So I think that there are pain points. I, I, I think a fundamental thesis of what we are building is the belief that there are pain points in this ecosystem that can be addressed through more of these tools. And so we have to both build the capacity to address those at greater scale and then learn where they are and work on those two things in parallel to each other. But I mean, look, one of my portability predictions for 2024 was that the supply of portability will continue to exceed the demand. I think that we are seeing enough business anticipation of the need for this, enough regulatory pressure for this, that we're going to see more tools being built and we're still not going to see a ton of uptake of them. And the point that I will will make over and over again is that this is not evidence of a failure or of an error in the theory. It is simply part of this parallel track of building capacity 
and then building awareness. And then together we will find these pain points and we will address them and, and, and people will feel more free. Yeah, no, I think that's right. And, and sort of to get at sort of where my answer was on that same question was, was that I don't think, you know, I don't think people care directly about portability or decentralization or things like that, but they care about where it solves the problems that they are facing and the problems that lots of people are talking about. So I think you're exactly right. There's another element of that, though, if you you don't mind me adding in a little bit more, which is that Portability isn't just about helping people move from one service to another, right? Mm-hmm. Particularly as we see efforts to implement the continuous and real-time data portability obligations under the EU's law, we are opening a, a door to downstream innovation and yes. new things that users will be able to do that they can't do today. So, and this is the yes. perpetual challenge with technology, right? People don't know what's coming that they're going to love when it gets here, but yes. we still need to keep the elements of the ecosystem fundamentally in place to create that opportunity. Yep, totally. And that that was that was a big part of my answer as well. So I'm we're, sure we're, it was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. Uh, so, I mean, so but your conversation about like the the supply and demand side of this yeah. is interesting, and whether or not it's a success or a failure. Do you have or are you thinking about ways to determine whether or not this is a success or the the various projects that you're working on if they're successful or not? I mean, I, I wrote a piece about sort of how we're building metrics and how we're focusing mm-hmm. our measurements of impact on the capabilities that we can build as a sort of ecosystem for this. So, I mean, I think evidence of success is, do we have more tools? Do we have more awareness? Do we have more sort of practical movement forward amongst all the st- stakeholders in this ecosystem? And do we have that movement forward together, right? I think that it's 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 just so hard to build quantitative metrics of any form on this. But I think that to the extent that we focus on these sort of capabilities, we know that we're putting in pieces in place the pieces that we need to address the problems that are there and to help things be productive and, and better moving forward. But it's going to be hard. And I think that this is also going to be a sort of a parallel track to how the European Commission in particular measures the success of the DMA. But at least I, I feel like there's a collective sense that timing of that measurement is as important as mm-hmm. as in many ways as the measurement itself and that we right, we do right. need to be a bit patient for a bit um because these are still these are still new and these are still complicated yeah no that makes sense um getting back to the to the policy side a little bit i mean obviously we've talked about the eu talked about korea a little bit and and sort of a little bit about the U.S. and and the U.S. being something of a mess, I guess is is the the the, the general summary. Um, we're I don't think we're expecting anything really at the federal level. You brought up the states. Yeah. I, for a variety of reasons that I know you understand, I I worry about the state sure. uh, legislative process and kind of what comes out of it. I think there are some cases where that's the you know states doing things provides a useful pressure point. Um, but there are lots of times where it just becomes a complete mess. I, In general, I feel like state legislatures are not as well equipped to, uh, to regulate around these things. I'm wondering, separate from that, and this is a, a very sort of US kind of thing, how much you think, if anything, and the answer could be, could be zero, um, how much this is impacted by not the state legislatures, but the courts. 
Um, in particular, like there are various antitrust trials going on, and there are various efforts by the DOJ and the FTC to to explore competition issues. Yeah. To me, this is in some ways it is a competition issue, but I don't. Every once in a while, I hear a little bit about like, oh, the FTC is thinking about portability or interoperability. Do you think that that anything comes from that path around this issue? Yeah, it's hard to it's hard to say. Uh, And I'll also start by saying the way that we are building DTI as an organization is not to engage in the advocacy for or against specific interventions. I don't Mm -hmm. see a world in which we are trying to get a bill passed or not passed at the state level. We are trying to be a resource. We're trying to lean in Mm -hmm. on our um, technical capabilities and partnerships and really help make sure any legislature that wants to come to us and get our sort of perspective on how something might work out in practice, we'd be delighted to talk to them. And we really view our role as trying to be a resource to policymakers rather than an advocate for any specific outcomes. Um, But I'm happy to sort of speculate on where this thing might go. And I mean, this also harkens back to one of the first things I ever wrote in this section of topics. Um, I wrote a sort of retrospective hypothetical, what if the Facebook WhatsApp merger had been uh, conditioned on Mm -hmm. offering any APIs built between those two services to third parties to allow the same kinds of technical intersections to be built with others. And I I still think that's a really interesting and valuable thought exercise. And I could certainly see it being a merger condition in some circumstances or other. Now, as a sort of proactive remedy, you know, uh, as well as I do, the Federal Trade Commission tried that in its uh, particular uh, lawsuit against Meta, um, mm-hmm. I believe it was pretty quickly dismissed by the courts, if I recall correctly. Yeah. Um, I, there's there's always the possibility that these things could be tried. And, you know, the court system in the U.S. today, let's say, has shown some capacity for uh, novelty. Um, <laughs> and, and, just, and just leave it at that for now. <laughs> it's a diplomatic way of putting it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, no, it is, it is interesting. I mean – you know, to some extent, if, if we go, this touches on some of the other stuff. Like if we go back to podcasts, <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm relating every, this podcast relates to everything we talk about. Absolutely. Two podcasts ago, we had, uh, uh, Eric Mijakovsky from Beeper, um, who yeah. that's not a, a data transfer initiative not quite, thing. No. Um, you know, that's, that's more interoperability and sort of building on top of, or making use of, of these things, or in some cases, reverse engineering stuff. Um, right. But it is interesting. It, it feels to me like we're in this moment that we had, we, that we weren't in really for the last decade of considering what the world looks like when the data is much less siloed. Uh, and couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree yeah. more. Yeah. And, 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 but just seeing it, you know, seeing these different approaches from different sides and different angles is really, really interesting to me. And I, I guess so as maybe sort of a, a way to close out the discussion a little bit, you know, um, do you see all of these things as as sort of you know related, uh, if not exactly the same? Obviously, interoperability and data portability are yeah. they're they're connected, but they're not they're not exactly the same topic. Is this are we just in this moment where um, where this suddenly has become important again? 
I think we are. I think that I think that you're spot on that we're at a time now when we can sort of see the light at the end of a tunnel and at the end is user empowerment more than we've ever really had in the past and and that the the challenge in front of us is making sustainable and incremental progress towards that by by building the tools and the pieces that we can to 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 get further and further um, along that along that journey i think that it's a really important time for that because well i mean from my perspective dti is still brand new as an organization Right. I'm hoping mm-hmm. to grow this year. I'm hoping to add, I'm expecting to add new partners and new functions and new product possibilities and pipelines, new new policy ideas and agendas. And in parallel this year, you know, the vast majority of large democracies in the world are holding elections. So this mm-hmm. is really, I think, a year to recognize that we shouldn't look back at the end of 2024 and set too strict a rubric for what did we do this year. Rather, I think we should look back at the end of 2024 and say, how have we taken this transitional moment in time and updated our vision of what we want the world to look like five years out? And how have we seized this moment of opportunity and sort of a growing alignment around user empowerment with respect to data and sort of built that into our vision of what the future should be? How have we changed our perspective and our theories of change um, in this moment and in this era? And I think that's going to be a lot of the year ahead. Yeah. Yeah, no, that, that, that definitely makes sense. Um, I guess, is there anything else? Is there anything else that you wanted to to cover that we didn't, that we didn't get across? I mean, I felt like we covered a pretty broad scope of, of things and, uh, but just, I think the only thing that I want to add that, that doesn't quite get mentioned enough is because we spend so much time talking about the EU and the U S that this is really a global phenomenon. I mean, there's mm-hmm. a lot of interest in this topic in Japan, I think there's some interest in places like Brazil as well, and I'm I'm really hoping to explore that. The UK, the United Kingdom is is sure. uh, close to advancing a significant competition bill and passing, uh, creating an entirely new function within its competition agency to to look at these behaviors. So I think that just emphasizing the the scale of this uh, work, at least in potential, I mean, what what I can do with the with the team and the and the unit that I have, but of course, it's not just me. It's a collective movement with a lot of different people contributing to it in a lot of different places all around the world. And I just I like to make sure that people don't focus too much on on the country that they're living in or the laws that they're working on on that. Keep right. the perspective in mind. Yeah, no, I think that's that is really valuable and really important. Well, uh, Chris, it's great. It's always good to to chat with you and always oh, exciting. Pleasure to, to yeah. hear, hear what's going on and what you're up to. Uh, and yeah, I mean, next year we'll have you back and, and you can tell, tell me all the things that you accomplished in, in 2024. Uh, love that. and, and that's, that's great. Well, so thanks. Thanks so much for, for coming on the podcast and thanks everyone for listening as well. And we'll be back next week. Thanks for having me. Mike. Yeah.